Hi everyone, it's Bill Black, the Exit Coach from the Exit Coach Radio Show. You know, one of the biggest questions I get on the show is what exactly goes into a business exit plan and when should I start creating mine? Well, I always tell people that the best time to start was five years ago, but the next best time is now because you never know when you might need it. So we put together a free report that describes what an exit plan is and what you should know. You can get it free by texting exit plan with no spaces to 44222. That's exit plan to 44222. Again, text exit plan to 44222. Welcome to the Exit Coach Radio Show, the show for baby boomer business owners who are looking for cutting-edge information as they plan their 3- to 10-year business succession and exit. Every week, we interview top professional advisors for their best tips, strategies, and precautions so you can be well-planned. And now, here's your host, the Exit Coach, Bill Black. Well, hey, everyone. Thanks so much for joining me. Always a pleasure to have you with me. Uh, I have some very interesting guests today, and my first guest is particularly interesting. He is Charles Antis, the founder and CEO of Antis Roofing and Waterproofing. He's a well-respected and widely known roofing expert, but also an entrepreneur and humanitarian, and he's become one of the most trusted names in the roofing industry countrywide, but is also an an inspirational business leader championing uh, social corporate policy and responsibility. Antis Roofing and Waterproofing just celebrated its 30th anniversary in 2019, or as Charles would say, for over 30 years we've been helping families uh, keep uh, safe and dry. So... Here's the thing is um, Charles has served on a dozen national and local boards for well-known organizations, including the National Roofing Contractors Association, um, and where they've adopted all 165 Ronald McDonald homes across the country. He's used his, his business for good there. He's also a board member of the Roofing Alliance for Progress and locally serves on the Orange County Habitat for Humanity. Uh, Habitat OC, through which Antis Roofing and Waterproofing has again donated every roof installation of every home built by that organization since 2009, over 80 families uh, housed and a million in in kind donations. He's received numerous awards, uh, you know, too many too many to mention in this short interview. But just in 2020, he received the 2020 Hispanic Leadership Award from Orange County Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, IMA Impact 2020 Award, One OC 2020 Community Cup Best Overall Project, on and on. The list goes on and on. We're going to talk about uh, the intention on how he holds his business. Charles, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining me today. It's a real pleasure to have you here. Thank you, Bill. I'm really happy to be here. You know, with that intro, and I could have, I could have gone on, uh, there, there's so much that you've done with your company um, uh, as your, you know, as your uh, uh, springboard, as your platform. Uh, I'd love to hear about how business owners are reaching out and really helping the community at large. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into starting Antis Roofing some 30 years ago. Okay, I'd love to tell that story. I, you know, I, I, I ended up here not through great planning on my part. There was a lot of, lot of luck looking back now. But, you know, the, the one thing common with what I do today is I grew up in Oregon where almost every man that I could see worked with his hands in a semi or dangerous job, either in forest uh, cutting trees or in the plywood or lumber mills, and that's that's the common that's the common thread I have because I grew up in this place and and I, when I ended up in California without a job when I was uh, 21, 
I looked for a job as a laborer, and the only job I could see was in roofing. And that's kind of how I landed in roofing back in the summer of 84. Wow. So, so what did that uh, instill in you when you saw, you know, these, these uh, you know, people, these men working these difficult laborious jobs? Uh, what did that create within you that, um, you know, that stayed with you to this day? Well, I think that's a good point. I mean, I grew up where labor was toil. It was it was supposed to hurt almost, or you weren't working hard enough. And, and it's just the mindset I grew up with. And I came to California, though. I, I was recruited at college as a sales job, and I was knocking on doors selling insulation in the in the, the Pacoima Arlita in the valley in North L.A. And, and that's – so I thought I might try something else because I was recruited to sell. I thought I could sell. And I, I had sold a family one day, and it was a deft – family they uh they were deaf they they you know they they couldn't hear and and i really liked them and you know how you sometimes as you should love the people you sell to and i i went back the next day really excited to see them but also to pick up the check but when i knocked on the door nobody answered and then i, I looked through and i thought well maybe he can't hear and and then suddenly i saw him look at me and he still didn't answer and right after that i felt footsteps on the on the porch and I turned around and the neighbor asked me to leave and and I asked why and she said because you're taking advantage of my deaf friends my neighbors and I, I I started to argue until she pointed to what the promises were in the contract which I had not really read and uh, I agreed with her and so that was the last day I sold insulation and that's when I looked at myself to your question I am a laborer that's how I grew up I will go get a job in labor, and I, all I could see myself, I couldn't even see myself uh, uh, busting tables or, or working in a restaurant I, unless I was going to learn how to wash dishes. That's how I saw myself. And so I think coming in that way and, and working on hot roofs, tearing them off with dangerous conditions, you know, I think I do have today a deep respect for those people that, that supported me when I was young, my father, my grandfather, who had many injuries uh, as a tree faller, as a, as a timber cutter, but I also respect the laborers that are up on the roof today, and, and that's, an area, that's an area that we'll, we could talk about, where, um, you know, we have a million workers in the roofing industry, but a lot of them are taken advantage of. In fact, over half of them have stories on weeks or months of working for a company that didn't pay them because they knew they could get away with it, likely because uh, half of our workforce is an immigrant workforce. Interesting. Interesting. And yeah, having that, having that respect from having worked hard or having done it in the beginning really pays off. I know I, I talk with a lot of um, business uh, situations where uh, a, a new generation is taken over and they, they didn't they took the they took the elevator to the top. Let's just say that way. You know, they didn't really work through the mm -hmm. positions, and so they don't have the respect of the workforce, and they don't respect in turn the workforce. But you've done more with your business than just respect your workers and build up a successful business. What is your long term intent with your business? Because you've given back a lot. Where where did that start, and and what's your philosophy with regards to your business? Well, you know, that goes back to Oregon, too. I, I didn't know it until recently. When, as adults, when we reflect on the stories of our childhood, often they have much deeper meaning. And, you know, I told you that every, almost every man I knew was a laborer, but it's not entirely true because there was this one guy, and I don't know why 
he strikes emotion in me, except that I get to be him a little bit today, and his name was John Shirtcliffe, and he owned the Shell Oil Station. Looking back, he probably had more uh, than most other men, but you know, to me, he was just another man. But I remember when I was six years old, at the Wooden Nickel Dave Parade in Myrtle Creek, Oregon, it's the biggest event of the year. I love that parade. And he would be at the end of the parade, and he would have these rolls of dimes. And he would give us kids dimes. And when I would walk out to get my dime, he would just hand me a dime. And this, this is a really important point. He didn't just hand me a dime. He held my stare. When I didn't know that an adult, that I was worthy yet for this stranger to hold my stare, he held my stare and he said, here you go. And, you know, and when I bought those two candy bars with that dime, you know, I, I never forget the way he made me feel. And this is what I felt back then, but I didn't know it until I reflected now is, oh, my God, I, I respect my dad and all these men, but I want to be him. I want to be that guy. I want to be that guy who's lifting up everybody he's touching because he can. And I didn't know what my goal to do, but that's what put in my head that it took 40 more years to start to come to fruition. Wow, that's an incredible, strong experience that, that changed. It sounds like it really changed your life in a lot of different ways. Um, what do you think? Uh, what do you think he was he was trying to do? This this gentleman with the, giving out the dimes and um, and and giving you a message at the same time. Well, thanks for asking. I, I you know what he, he to your question. His long term intent was different than the long-term intent that I've been taught since I've owned my business. His long-term intent was to take what he has now and do with it. I don't know this entirely, but looking back, I think to some extent John Shercliffe said, you know what, I need, I need to be secure. I've got to take care of my employees. I've got to take care of my family. I don't need to build them a castle of gold. If I have anything left over after my security, I need – to give it back to those and build up community around me. And then there's a tradition, there's a tradition to do that when we look back 100 years, when we look back beyond these profit-taking years where these generations thrived. And, you know, if you look at generation to generation, we behave differently. One generation saves us, next generation comes out and uh, conquers a lot. The next generation says, I want what they had, and then, but more, and then leverages, and the next generation has to save it. But back here, if your intent is good and you want to build something good, then invest in community. And what I've learned now is I can do what John Shercliffe did because I have that philosophy. I don't want to build a house of gold for my kids. I love my kids. I, should I suppose they might need a, a down payment on a house type thing. They might need uh, their college paid for and that kind of – beyond that, I don't want to turn them into monsters. But what I do want to do is take the excess – of this business and reinvest in my people and everybody that I can reach in the community. And that what we found is, is just like John Shercliffe, if your intent, and actually I don't want to even say big, whatever your intent is, once you think it's possible, I've learned that, oh my goodness, it is. And we've been able to have big impact. And, I, and I'd love to tell you some of those stories. I'm getting too much caught up in theory. I'd like to get into what happened. <laughs> Yeah, I'd love to hear that. And also, you know, what's interesting about uh, when I read uh, your, your bio is um, you've given so much um, within your station. In other words, you're in the roofing business, and, and you, you didn't have to, um, you know, pretend you were doing something else. You, you took what you do, 
which is a very necessary um, uh, service for for anybody who has a building, obviously, and you turned that into something that you could give and, and continue in your, your line of work and give so much uh, to, to other groups like the Ronald McDonald House, um, like uh, Habitat for Humanity or uh, Orange County Habitat for Humanity, well, Bill, those types of things. That's because I have this thing in me that, that, that everybody could have in their own profession, but with me, it, it, it comes out just like this. I can't let somebody have a leaky roof just because they don't have the money to pay. And I'll say that again because I think it's profound for my profession. I, I can't let somebody and their family and their kids have a leak over them when I know I can fix it just because they don't have the money to pay. And, and it sounds like an impossible task, but that's, that's what I've learned that I can do something about. Just like the doctor on the airplane, when, you know, we, 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 uh, we imagine any doctor on an airplane when he hears the pilot say we have a medical emergency, that that doctor, he or she would raise his hand in that moment. We would like to think that he would. But, and I also believe that all of us know that that doctor is not going to turn around and send a bill for his service. So how am I different than that doctor? I have a different skill. But my skill is every bit as vital as his. We have one of the basic skills providing shelter. We can't survive without that. And we hold that very seriously. And if we hold it very seriously, and if we say something like we exist to keep families safe and dry, which is what we say, then that's what happens. But I, I want to just quickly tell you why it started, because I think everything that I'm saying doesn't make sense until I tell this story. Can I tell you the story that happened to me right when I started my business 31 years ago? Yeah, yeah please do. Please do. Yeah, I'll tell it quicker than normal because I know we have a lot to cover. But, you know, I, I started this business because I started into roofing, and I, and I didn't have enough work where I was working, and so I, I was good at leaks. So I said, give me the leaks that no one can solve. I'll fix them for free. And, I, and then I would win trust of people, and so that's how I started my business. And I became very good at that until one day I got a call from a lady, and she had leaks in every room, and it sounded really good. But when I got there the next day, I noticed I was going to a really disheveled neighborhood until finally I saw the house when I turned on the street where the home would be, and it was really set back on a dead grass field, four walls, and a relatively simple roof. And I, I didn't know what to think, and I knocked on the door, and then I was hit with this experience that I'll never forget. A woman answers the door with a really tired expression, like she has not had a good year. Before I could say something, I was hit with the smell of mildew that nearly knocked me down. And so then I'm just recoiling. I mean, it's like fight or flight. I'm having that reaction, and I'm turning to leave, wondering what I'm going to say. And suddenly I feel a tug at my finger. And completely opposite of the expression of her mom and me, there was a little six-year-old girl with blonde hair and an ear-to-ear -ear smile who had probably the first visitor to her home she may have had all year for all I know. And she was just so happy. She grabbed my finger and she pulled me in. And what am I going to do? I follow her into this disheveled living room through this undersized hallway, and she turns right into her room. And I knew it was her room because she points to this My Little Pony poster on the wall. And... and, and but, but as she smiles and looks at me pointing to the poster, I look at her feet and I see a mattress and then I see three more and they have moldy bedding on them. And I just, I kind of lost it. I lost composure, didn't know what to do. I was stuck. I didn't say I was going to do anything. I, I, I wanted to leave. I didn't want to leave, but I didn't know what I could do. I didn't think that I could. I had a mortgage payment to make, but suddenly the mom walked in with that same expression. You know, and I don't know why it was that expression and not the little girl, but when I saw the mom come back in again with that hard look, I, something came out of my mouth that I never 
heard myself say before, and I said, I'm going to take care of your roof. And I, and I went up there hoping, praying that it was just like a hole, but the roof was just nothing but I could see the plywood everywhere. And so, I, so I got a bunch of volunteers, and we, we gave them a roof because we could. And, and I still didn't know that was a good idea, but every time I ran into one of those siblings that, that were from that house, or every time I ran into the volunteers that I got to help me because I didn't have any employees yet at the time, it was like a moment, like a high-five moment, like, hey, brother, hey, boom, high-five, wow, what did we do? And, and today, we have that. It took a long time to bridge this story, but we have it. It's called culture, you know, because when you do good together, when you join together in a common goal, you speak exactly the same language. And when you speak exactly the same language and your values are aligned and your story is real, it's right before you, it's ringing with authenticity, then it changes everything. That's what started me on my journey, that story. And it's led to those claims that, that we donated all the Habitat roofs where I've been on the board for over the last 10 years. It leads to the story where we've got the NRCA, the National Roofing Contractors Association, to, to adopt all of the Ronald McDonald House roofs in the nation. In fact, I was two days ago in Camp Idlewild, where it all began three years ago with some of the people that were planning a new maintenance on that roof, and we're going to celebrate the adoption of all the, roof, the roofs. We're going to have Fred Hill, the original founder out there. Why? Because his, he said yes. You know, it's like if you think in terms of lifting your people and you think in terms of building the impact in the community, I've learned that it really happens. That's an amazing story. It really is fantastic uh, how you began with that. The other thing that you do is, is not only uh, give with your company, but you give up your time to, to many, many nonprofit boards. What can you tell our listeners about uh, you know, why you do that? Why do you serve on so many nonprofit boards, and what do you, what do you get out of it? And, uh, and you know, why, should, why should our listeners get more involved in their community? What are they missing out on? Um, uh, the best night's sleep of your life, if you have a cause that you're aligned with and you can ask yourself, what is that thing that could fulfill me? And you could see yourself, what if I could do that? And you find a, a nonprofit that has a great leader. It, has, it can't just be a passionate leader. It's got to be a great leader. But here's the most important criteria. Look at the board members and ask yourself this. Does that board, oh, my God, are those, do those people have what I want? Would I just be honored to sit with those people? Then, if you, then get involved, and you will become who you hang around with. That's who I hang around with. Why do I serve on so many boards? Because I learned I could. I used to spend 40 hours a month on my Habitat uh, board. I was board member of the year, volunteer of the year, until I, I, I learned that in my heart who I am, I have so many other things that are so important to me, like, like not only do I, I need everybody to be safe and dry, but also I think it is unimaginable to ignore sick children. So I went to Sharon Ellis five years ago and said, hey, I'm going to join this other board. Can I be on both boards? She said, sure. So then I learned, and I got asked to be on another board, and what I learned is if you volunteer and you, make, you negotiate when you're asked to join um, a nonprofit board, it's, you, you don't do 40 hours a month. They would rather have three hours placed where you're expert branding, you know, uh, whether mine is uh, usually it's branding, messaging, storytelling. They want what I can give, and they want what you can give. And so what I've learned is we're not the same. We're all completely different. Why not go in there and say, this is uniquely who I am. This is, I'm a little bit vulnerable because I'm not perfect. By the way, I won't ever read the board packet. I say that not because I won't read the board because I don't want to. It's like I'm too busy. I'll intend to, but I won't. But I'm, when I'm, you're really honest, you know what they say every time? They say, okay. And so get involved. 
with everything that fulfills you and be everything that you think you could possibly be. And I promise you, you'll be happier, but also you'll be heard. You'll be relevant inside and outside your company. And, and that matters, I think, to a lot of people. It gives you a sense of, of purpose. It gives you a sense of who you are. It gives you a sense of legacy. You, you, you mentioned one thing that's inspired you is uh, Bay, Bay Beccalardo's book, Doing Good at Work. Can you tell us what that book means to you and, and why our listeners maybe should uh, pick that one up? Well, Bebop Landro and I have talked around the world together. She's like the CEO, Corporate Social Responsibility Whisperer, and I'm a practitioner, and so we have – we just finished the United Way course. We're teaching Corporate Social Responsibility to CEOs, and – that book is amazing because she uses her life stories to really tell how we're fulfilled. We're happier individuals. We live longer. We sleep better. We're better husbands. We're better wives. We're better children. We're better parents. We're better employees. We're better bosses if, if, we, if, you, if you just get into it. So I'm sorry. What was the – I got excited. What was the question? I forgot. I started going another direction. Well, I think you, you're starting to answer. It's like, well, what's the book about, and why should our listeners, uh, you know, maybe pick yeah. that up? Uh, yeah. So and, you know. the the book, the Do Good at Work, is what it's it's really about being fulfilled. And and the I'm in it in one section on page 142. She has she she quotes me on being vulnerable. I said, you know, it's typical being vulnerable at work, but actually it makes things a lot easier. And so she hits principles like that, and then she goes deep, like. Ten years ago, being vulnerable at work would seemingly get you executed, but it's not that way. And so she also goes and she makes a point. She makes a point in this book that I think is brilliant. It's not her point. She's quoting somebody else, but she says this. At any time in the history of civilization of mankind, the masses have been completely wrong about a basic concept that all are following. And today, it is no different. She says in that book that people today chase the dollar over and over again, accumulating more and more instead of living in the moment, and they're leaving themselves on the lowest rung of life's rewards. Now, I missed that quote a little bit, but it directionally got it. And I think that that book is so true, it really nails it. That quote really nails what it's all about. If you want to live to the best of who you can be, and you want the people around you to find out who they are and go live up to that, see themselves higher forevermore than do good at work. And I think it's a book that I highly recommend. It's on Adam Grant's uh, top 30 for the year for good reason. So I would strongly recommend. So I'm glad you brought it up. I'm going to call B right away and tell her you asked about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, you're, you're inspirational to us all. I mean, basically, this is this is a terrific discussion about uh, how you can, you know, do more from from your station, for wherever you happen to be. If you're a business owner out there and you you do plumbing, or you do you do any of the trades, you do anything, you can give back with what you do. You can give back with your leadership. Uh, get involved in, in local boards. It certainly is a, a message that I think we all need to hear, and you deliver it so well. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your time and, uh, and your experiences with us. Anytime, man. This has been fun. I appreciate you struck an emotion in me today, and that is what it's all about, being real, alive, conscientiously awake in the moment, and I appreciate you awakening me today.
Thank you for listening to Exit Coach Radio.